review. Uh, the issue is, we know that uh, Chazal, this is a rabbinic law, it's not a derisa, Chazal enacted that there are seven special blessings that are recited at a chasana, uh, and one of them is just a bracha on the wine, so it's six blessings plus a bracha on the wine, and uh, the minog of Svardim is that only one person says them all. The rabbi that's marrying you says all the sheva brachas, the minog of Ashkenazim is we honor different people, so we like to split it up. Uh, this might be something, for example, if you have a uh, family relative who cannot be a witness, right? You can't, uh, even if they're religious, a relative cannot be a witness, but you can certainly honor them with a bracha. And uh, people ask the question, what about if someone is not religious? Can they be honored with a bracha? Halachically, uh, as long as they believe in Hashem, as long as they believe in God, an atheist should not get a bracha. Uh, but if they believe in Hashem, even if they're not observant, uh, they are permitted to have a bracha. But uh, if you could avoid it, it's actually better because spiritually, you want someone who keeps the mitzvahs to bring down the blessings uh, from Hashem. So it turns out the following. Uh, the recitation of Sheva Brachos occurs uh, really three different scenarios. One is under the chuppah itself. The second is after the wedding meal, after benching of the wedding meal, there is Sheva Brachos. And third is that for seven days after the wedding, when there's a special meal, uh, they will add Sheva Brachos to the benching. Now, the reason I mention these things separately is because they do have somewhat different, different halachos, and that, that is the following. Uh, the paradigmatic normal situation of a marriage, maybe not normal today, was uh, man was never married before and woman was never married before. So if both of them were never married before and they never had sexual relations before, so they have Sheva Brachos for the entire seven days. Now, what are the laws about those seven days? So number one, you have to have a minion. Sheva Brachos cannot be recited without a minion, but the chasan does count for the minion. Okay? Uh, number two... Uh, every meal of Sheva Brachos, there must be a new face who had not participated in either the wedding or a prior Sheva Brachos. So that would mean, this is called Panim Chadashos, a new face. So even if nine of the people are there at every Sheva Brachos, same nine people, nine, 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 you have to have a new tenth person for every Sheva Brachos. However, on Shabbos, you don't need a new person because the holiness of Shabbos is like a new face. Okay, so you still need a minion. You still need 10 people, uh, but you don't need a new Panim Chadashos. Now, the Panim Chadashos does not have to be there for the whole meal uh, because remember, Shevar Brachos is recited, benching, and then Shevar Brachos. So technically, although the new face is supposed to uh, eat something, he doesn't have to wash, and he doesn't have to be there for the whole Sheva Brachos. So you could invite somebody for dessert. Sometimes people do this. In other words, they'll invite, let's say, a neighbor or someone they don't even know, but say, hey, come over for dessert, and you, know, you can be the 10th person for the Sheva Brachos. I don't know if that makes a person feel good or feel bad. I'm not sure. <laughs> but uh, you can do, he doesn't have to be there for the whole, for the whole meal. Yeah. Um, so if someone is... 
married for a second time? Or how yeah, I'll, 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 go over, I'll go over that. I'll go over that in, 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 great, in great detail. So, so what you need to know about Trevor Brachos is, number one, you need to know that you need a minion. Number two, you need panim chadashot. Number three, you, don't, you do not need panim chadashot on Shabbos. Uh, and number four, this is actually maybe the most interesting, there is no chiyuv, there is no obligation to make a Sheva Brachos every day. It's become customary that every single day uh, we make a Sheva Brachos for the seven days, uh, and sometimes we make it twice a day, uh, but nevertheless, uh, according to halacha, other than the wedding meal itself, there is no chiyuv, there's no obligation to make a Sheva Brachos. So if a chasen or a tala were to tell people who want to make them a Sheva Brachos, we really need a day off, even though you will be looked upon as if you're crazy, uh, According to halacha, you have the right to say, you know, we'd like a day off, it's too much for us, and the like. In fact, Rav Shlomo Zalman Arbach uh, says, has uh, said that when he grew up in Yerushalayim, uh, people were so poor that they never made Sheva Brachas during the week. They, they just didn't do it. They couldn't afford it, and there was no obligation uh, to do so. In fact, you know, the minog in Europe, we don't do this at all today, but the minog in Europe was that weddings were generally made, weddings were made Friday afternoon going into Shabbos. And the concept was that you, you're not allowed to make a wedding on Shabbos. That much is true. The wedding must be, the chasna must be before Shabbos, but the meal for the chasna can be on Shabbos. And that way they combined the Shabbos meal and the wedding meal because they could not afford to make two big uh, meals. Right? So the minog in Europe was that uh, they would make chasnas sh- uh, Friday afternoon and the meal of the wedding would be the meal of Shabbos. Today, we bedafka do not do that because we're afraid we're going to cause Shabbos desecration with uh, bands or whatever it would be. So it's, we, we try to avoid that bedafka. But that was the custom for a very long time. I'm um, sorry, someone had a question? Uh, okay, alrighty. So now, let me talk about second marriages, and not just second marriages, but also uh, non-virginity situations where people weren't married, but uh, either the man or the woman is not a, a virgin. So the halachas are a little, are a little complicated here. Um, if the man, let, let's first look at it from the man's perspective. If the man was either married before or the man is not a virgin because he's had intercourse before, either way, uh, as long as the woman is a virgin you have full shavabrachas no, for seven days, no question at all. Now, the other way around, similarly, if the man is a virgin and the woman was divorced, widowed, or, or non-virgin, you also have seven days of shavabrachas. Which means if either one of them is a virgin, even if the other one is not, it is 100% clear that you, have, you can have seven whole days of Sheva Brachas. Now, that's clear. It's also clear that if both of them were married and either widowed or divorced, you only have Sheva Brachas under the chuppah and at the wedding meal. You do not have Sheva Brachas the rest of the week. If now, both of them? That's if both of them were married and were either widowed or divorced. That's also clear. Now, where it gets a little complicated is if they weren't married, but they're not virgin because they had sexual relations. So here, 
we have a bit of a difficult, uh, difficult uh, to understand distinction between men and women. And that is the following. Uh, if the woman was never married before, but she's not a virgin, because she had sexual relations with either a Jew or a guy or even with the guy, so then the rule is that if he's married, if he was married, well, well, if, so if he's a virgin, then for sure you say Sheva Brachta seven days because it's no worse than if she would be married. I mean, her not being a virgin is not going to be stricter than if she would be married. But in a case where he was married, he was married, and she is not a virgin, even though she wasn't married, he was married, she is not a virgin, even though she was not married, Sheva Brachos is only the uh, one day, meaning the wedding, under the chuppah and the wedding meal. But strangely enough, I'll try to explain this, if you took it in reverse, he was not married, but he's not a virgin. Okay? He was not married, but he's not a virgin. Even if she was married, you'll have Sheva Brachos for seven days. Okay? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, if I can remember. Okay, okay. again, let, 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 let's be sure we know the cases that, that are obvious. There are cases where the halakha is very, very clear. If both were married, if both were married and were widowed or divorced, the halakha is sheva brachas is only uh, under the chuppah and the wedding meal. That's it. That's if both were married. Yeah, yes, we do. Yeah, we, we say Sheva Brachos under the chuppah. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the wedding meal, after benching, we say so Sheva Brachos again. No, no, that's what I think. So, so uh, if both were married, we say Sheva Brachos twice. We say it under the chuppah, and we say it after benching at the wedding meal. That's if both were married, that's for sure. Okay? If one was married and the other is a virgin, for sure you can do it. For all seven days. Okay? Now, where it gets a little complicated is if one was married, but the other was not married, but they're still not a virgin. I don't know if virgin is the right word to use for a man, but whatever it is. Uh, one of them, you know, didn't have, rela- one of them had relations. One of them is not a virgin. So here, there is a curious difference between which way it plays out. That is, if the man was married and the woman was not married, but she was not a virgin, Sheva Brachos is going to be only one day, one day meaning the wedding meal and the, I'm sorry, the chuppah and the wedding meal. Okay, so that's what? That's if the man was married and the woman is not a virgin. But if the man was not a virgin... And the woman, then even if the woman was uh, married, in other words, if the man is not a virgin, in other words, the man was not, the point is the man was not married. The man was not married, as the basic rule is, to make it simpler, if a man was not married, you will have Sheva Brachas for seven days. That's correct. So if a man was not married, you will have Sheva Brachas for seven days, even if the man is not a virgin and even if the woman was married. 
Okay, so maybe that's the easiest thing to remember. A man that is not married will always enable a Sheva Brachos of seven days, even if he's not a virgin, and even if the woman is not only not a virgin, but the woman was also no married, okay? As long as the man was not married. Now, the other, the other side of it would be, if the man was married, and the woman was either married, that we said before, or she's not a virgin, Sheva Brachos will only be uh, one day. Uh, one, by one day I mean twice, under the chuppah and at the wedding meal. Okay, so I'll, I'll give you an exact case that I, that I was involved in. Again, it was just a shayla. That is, uh, imagine a Jewish man who was married to a Jew and he got divorced. He got a get, properly divorced. The woman that he's marrying is a balas tshuva who had been legally married to a guy, a non-Jew. And now she is, uh, does tshuva and now she's marrying a religious guy. Now, although, in a legal sense, both of them were married, and if both would be married, you only say Sheva Brachos under the chuppah and at the wedding meal, since halachically, marriage to a non-Jew is zero, so we would actually classify the woman as simply being a non-virgin who was never married. You understand that? The fact that she was married to a guy, that doesn't mean anything. She wasn't married. So therefore, we have a man who is married with a woman who's not a virgin. So the halacha is, under these circumstances, sheva brachas are only recited under the chuppah and at the wedding meal. Now, if I gave you the exact case in reverse, the man was married to a guy and the woman was married to a Jew and got divorced, in such a situation, since the man has never been married before, you could have Sheva Brachas for all seven days. Okay? So this would be a, a difference here. So again, if they both were married, there is no question that you only ha- have Sheva Brachas under the chuppah and at the wedding meal. If both of them are non-virgins, but the husband wasn't married, you can have Sheva Brachas for seven days. Right? Uh, the only... Pl- problem when you have a difference between man and a woman is if one is a non-virgin but one was married, then you differentiate between the man and, and the woman, okay? Uh, now, this is an important question. I'll, I'll tell you why it does come up a lot. Because um, particularly if, the, okay, the, okay, the man was married, the man was divorced, no, that's a known thing. But often if a, a girl is a balas chuva, she doesn't necessarily want people to start asking questions about uh, her past or, or, or whatever, whatever it would be. So uh, if a psaac has to be made that there's not going to be sheva brachos uh, beyond the wedding, so people might ask why, so there's potentially an issue that has to be handled in a very delicate way. In fact, it might be better just to say she was married before, just lie. I mean, she was married before, you know, whatever, whatever it would be, and that would solve the problem instead of intimating she's not a virgin because she was either with a guy or, or, or whatever it would be, okay? But uh, these are just some halakhas you need to know because unfortunately... Uh, in this day and age, there are going to be many couples who technically would not have a Sheva Brachas for all seven days. Yeah? What if a man and a woman were both Jewish, yeah. married, but not married halakhically? <coughs> yeah, so that would be a good question. Uh, the problem is, well, we'll actually, we'll actually talk about this a little bit. The problem is that, according to some opinions, 
um, a non-halachic marriage can turn into a halachic marriage by virtue of sexual relations. So as a result, it turns into, at least after the fact, a, a valid halachic marriage uh, for, that, for that purpose. Okay, alrighty, so that's kind of uh, what you need to know about the Sheva brothers. Now another thing you need to know is the seven days start from the wedding meal is day one, not the chuppah itself. This is interesting. I mean, let's imagine the chuppah is Monday afternoon. So, right? But you don't get around to the wedding meal until after sunset, which halachically, even though it's Monday night, it's halachically Tuesday, right? Because the day begins at night. So it turns out day one of Sheva Bracha, you have seven days. Day one is Tuesday. So that actually means day seven is Monday. So the last Sheva Brachas will be recited Monday afternoon before sunset. In other words, it's not the day of the chuppah. It's the day of the wedding meal because you need seven days of rejoicing. Okay, so the days of rejoicing commence from when the wedding meal is. Okay, so uh, instead of looking at if the wedding, if the, if the chuppah was Monday, instead of looking at Monday as day one, which would end on Sunday, we look at Tuesday as day one, so it ends on Monday. You get an extra, an extra day uh, moving in. Now, but what's interesting about this is we are very, very strict that Sheva Brachos cannot be recited once the seven days are up. Now, let me give you an analogy here. Let's take Shabbos. Uh, let's assume that somebody is making Suda Shlishis, a third meal. Although I think Chabad has been lately, lately not to do it, but okay. But, you know, Suda Shlishis is the third meal Shabbos afternoon. Now, we know whenever you bench on Shabbos, <coughs> you add a paragraph, a special paragraph for Shabbos that is called Ritzay. Right? You're familiar with Ritzay. It's in benching. So let's imagine we're having a Suda Shlishis <coughs> and we go way into the night, way after Shabbos is over. <coughs> right, Shabbos is over, let's say, 6 o'clock, and we're still singing Zemiros till 8 o'clock. <coughs> when I bench at 8 o'clock, it's no longer Shabbos. Do I say the Ritzay paragraph in the benching if it's no longer Shabbos? The answer is yes, because the rule is, as long as you began your meal when it was Shabbos, then you, stay, you say the Shabbos benching even though it's after Shabbos. So that's a general rule, that the general rule is for everything. Rosh Chodesh, same thing. Uh, if you began a Rosh Chodesh meal and it goes into the night, or you began a Purim meal, Purim afternoon, and it goes into the night, and it's no longer Purim, but you still say Al Hanisim, because all of these things always depend on the beginning of the meal. The big exception to this principle is Sheva Brachos. Let's take the example I gave you. A regular Sheva Brachos. Everybody's a virgin, everybody's married the first time, so you have Sheva Brachos for seven days. So let's imagine that the chuppah was Monday, but the wedding meal was not until Monday night, which is halachically Tuesday. So that means Tuesday is the first day of rejoicing, and Monday is the seventh day of rejoicing. Now let's imagine we make a final party for the chasen and the kala Monday afternoon, which is the seventh day. But we don't finish and we're not ready to bench until after sunset, which is already Tuesday. 
we are not allowed to say Sheva Brachas. In other words, this is a big exception. Instead of saying, oh, as long as you began the meal on Monday, you can make the Sheva Brachas? No, the Sheva Brachas can only be said during the seven days of rejoicing. And once the seven days of rejoicing are over, even if you made a whole meal in honor of the chasen and the kala, and you started it in the right time, even if most of the meal was eaten during that time. So that actually means on the seventh day of the Sheva Brachos, whichever day that is, makes no difference if it's Shabbos or a weekday. Whatever day it is, uh, you have to be absolutely careful that you finish all the, not only benching, but you finish all the seven blessings before sunset. Because once it is sunset, and it's, the seventh, it's after the seventh day, you're not allowed to say the Sheva Brachos. And uh, the point I'm making is, this is different than Ritzay and Yala B'yavo and, and Al-Hanisim. All of those things can be said after Shabbos, after Rosh Chodesh, after Purim, after Yom Tif, because we normally follow the beginning of a meal, but here uh, we look at the end of the meal. Uh, that's uh, okay, an important thing to keep in mind. And again, I, I've been in more than one situation where people miss the clock, so to speak. And uh, even though there was a party in honor of the Chasna and the Kala, they could not say the Sheva Brachos under those uh, circumstances. Another interesting issue is this, and this really will teach us a general halacha. Let me, let me backtrack, give you a general luck, and then you'll see the particular problem we have here. Uh, you know that on Friday night, and even Shabbos morning, once it's time to recite Kiddush, men and women are not allowed to eat or drink anything. Let's say Friday night. Uh, once, it's, uh, once it's nightfall, you're not allowed to eat. And again, if you're sick, if you're weak, you know, of course we make exceptions for that, but a generally healthy person is not allowed to eat or drink anything until Kiddush. Are you familiar with that halacha? But that's only when the time of Kiddush comes, which is nightfall. Now, this applies at night, and it even applies in the morning. And that is, even if you eat, it's a little tricky, even if you matir eating before davening, which I know Chabad has, has a view on that, uh, but you have to know, don't, don't, mis- don't mistake this. You're allowed to eat before davening because until you daven, it's not yet the time for Kiddush. In other words, interestingly enough, there, there may be leniencies before davening that you're not going to have after davening. Meaning once you've davened, you are now obligated for Kiddush and you're not allowed to eat until you make Kiddush. It's an interesting paradox a little bit. Now, I don't want to get into politics. A lot of people will disagree with the heter to eat before davening, but I know, I know Chabad has a, a long-standing heter for that, so I, won't, I will not question it. But even the Chabad heter to do it before davening is not a heter to do it after davening. To eat before? To eat before. I mean, they, they allow a certain amount of eating before davening on Shabbos. On Shabbos. Well, well, even during the week. I mean, the problem is eating before davening is a problem even during the week. But whatever it is, Chabad has various atayrim. We're not able to concentrate, uh, whatever it would be. But on Shabbos, there's a special problem of eating after davening because you're chayiv and kiddush. Once you're chayiv and kiddush, you're not allowed to eat. Okay, so don't, don't confuse that. So, uh, similarly, havdalah is the same thing. Once it is time for havdalah, you're not allowed to eat the exception is that you could have water. That's, that's why Kiddush is different than Havdalah. 
uh, when it's time for Kiddush, you're not even allowed to have water. When it's time for Havdalah, you're allowed to have water. From when it gets dark until you make Havdalah? That's correct. From the time that it gets dark. Now, this doesn't apply if you began your meal before sunset. Meaning, if I began Sudashalishis before sunset, then even if I'm eating several hours into the night, that's fine because I began eating when I was allowed. So if you watch, you watch, you watch. But if I didn't wash, and it's sunset, shkia, not allowed to eat except water until havdama. So this raises a very neat question about a, a suda shalishes shavu brachas. Let's imagine, and it's not the seventh day. I'm not talking about the seventh day. In other words, it's the middle. It's the fourth day. That the fourth day after the marriage is shabbos. Now the way shavu brachas works, if I don't know if you've been at the shavu brachas. Uh, benching is recited, like Birkat Samazan is recited. After Birkat Samazan is recited, then different people recite the seven brachos. Uh, you, you know, that's given out to different people as an honor. And then the last bracha is Bere Priyagafen, and the wine is drunk. Now, here's the problem. Once you bench and you finish Sudashalishit, you're not allowed to eat until or drink until Havdalah, except for water. So can the Sheva Brachas wine be drunk since that is wine that is being drunk after benching if it's Shabbat, if it's, you know, uh, Shabbos uh, night, you know, Motzei uh, Shabbos. So that's a big, big machlokas. Uh, many opinions say that the wine is not drunk under those circumstances. You save it for Havdalah and it's not going to be drunk. It'll, in other words, that wine upon which the Sheva Brachas were recited is going to be used for the Havdalah. Others do permit the Chasen and the Kala to take a sip from it. So there are different customs about this. Uh, some say nobody drinks and the wine is saved for Havdalah. Others say the Chasen and the Kala can drink but nobody else can. Uh, those are the two, two views that you will see on this particular question. Again, this is presupposing this is not the last day of the Sheva Brachas. If it would be the last day of the Sheva Brachas, then nobody, you wouldn't have Sheva Brachas at all if it's already dark because you've already gone past the seventh day. Say again? Yeah, yeah, the two opinions are some will allow, again, this is the, uh, this is the wine after benching on the third meal of Shabbos, which is Sheva Brachos. Mm-hmm. So some say nobody can drink because until you make Havdalah, you can't drink. So the wine will be saved, the cup of wine. You recite the blessings over a cup of wine, but the wine is not going to be drunk. It'll be used for Havdalah, and then it'll be drunk. Uh, that's one opinion. The other opinion is we do allow the Chasan and the Kala to drink from the wine, uh, but nobody else. Okay, so these are some things to know about uh, the Sheva uh, Brachos. Uh, one uh, little thought. Uh, if you look at Bracha number six and Bracha number seven, you see something that almost is, is alike. Uh, bracha number six uh, says, Sameach de Samach. Why don't I go over all the Brachos? Just so you'll know, just, uh, it's, not, it's not such a long thing. This should have Sheva Brachas, I think. Let's see if it has. Does the Chabad Siddur have Sheva Brachas in it? Right after benching. After benching? Okay. 
Here they have benching. <laughs> Can't see. Table of contents, benching, benching, benching. Seder yeah, Habrachos, Brachos Hamazon, yep, got it, okay, 98. Yep, yeah, okay. So, um, so here's something a little, a little tricky, because the order of the Brachos under the Chuppah is slightly different than the order of the brachos at either the wedding meal or the later meals. Under the chuppah, the first blessing that's recited is borei priyagafen, a blessing over wine. When you fill up a cup of wine, borei priyagafen. That's bracha number one. One second. Yeah. You can't make that bracha and not drink the wine. Well, yes, you you can. The wine will be drunk, but it's drunk after all the brachos, just like by Kiddush. In other words, when you're saying a lot of brachos on oh, wine, right. like that. so you will drink the wine. But it, the person who makes that bracha can not speak until after the wine. That's correct. That is correct. You have to be quiet. That's correct. That is correct. Until after, well, we don't want Trevor brachos here. Not, not Havdalah. Well, well Havdalah, yeah, Havdalah, same thing, yeah. That's right. I mean, every Havdalah is that way. Kiddush is the same thing. Right? But for Kiddush, you make Berepi Agafen first, and then you make a bracha. Havdalah, you make Bri and other brachas. Mm-hmm. So all of these things you can't interrupt till 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 you drink. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, yeah. Does the person who makes that bracha does he have to drink? Uh, that's a very very good question. The, the, the customarily we don't require it, but there's a very good reason that that they should. And in fact, they say the shame certain gedolim that they used to spill a little wine on their finger. They would shake the cup so they could lick lick their finger. Meaning they, it actually is proper for the person who makes the Brea Priya government to drink the wine, although customarily we just have the chasna and the kala drink. Mm-hmm. In, effect, in effect, the one who's making that bracha is being motzi, the chasna and the kala. Okay, so bracha number one is a bracha on a cup of wine. Bracha number two is a short one. These are short. Baruch Hashem Blessed art you Hashem, the creator, king of the universe. Shehakol baral Everything you created for your glory. Everything in the world is to give glory to Hashem. That's bracha number two. Bracha number three is also short. Bracha Hashem Adam. We thank Hashem for creating the human being. Without a human being, there wouldn't be marriage. Bracha number four. Now this is our, the brachas get a little longer. Bracha Hashem so it's not just you created man, but you created man in your image, in the image of God. With all of the attributes of divinity. And you made for him, for him, a binyan, a structure, meaning his, your wife, that can be with you forever. And it ends, So you'll notice, that bracha number three and bracha number four end the same way. We thank Hashem for the creation of man. But the difference is, bracha number three is just the creation of Adam. Bracha number four is the creation of Adam and Chava together as a unit. Okay, so that's bracha number four. Bracha number five, we have to remember Yerushalayim in our biggest joy. And we say, may the barren woman of Jerusalem rejoice when her children come back 
enjoy. Misameach Tzion Bevana Hashem should give Zion, Yerushalayim, joy in her children. Again, we think about the Mikdash, we think about uh, the Kibbutz Goliath, we think about Mashiach. Okay, bracha number six. Sameach Tesamach Reim Ahuvim. Rejoice, beloved friends. So we call the Chasna and the Kala beloved friends. As your creator made you happy in Ganeden, when Adam was alone and Adam was lonely, and Hashem gave him a partner. So Hashem brought Simcha to Adam and Chava, and we are blessing the Chasan and the Kala that they should rejoice the way Hashem made. Adam and Chava rejoice. You know, some commentaries have a nice word on this. They say <laughs> that um, sometimes with Shiduchim, we sometimes wonder, you know, you shouldn't, but we wonder, could I get somebody better? You know, is there somebody better out there that I didn't find? You know, both sides can think that. So by Adam and Chava, there was no choice. There was like nobody else. So the prayer is, may you be happy like Adam and Chava, where you know that there's nobody else out there. Uh, this is the only one uh, you can have. And it ends, now pay attention to the ending. Blessed are you Hashem, Misameach Chasan Vekala, who makes the Chasan and the Kala happy. The Chasan and the Kala. Now we have bracha number seven, which is the longest bracha, and this is like the greatest honor, when you want to honor uh, the most esteemed person, whether it be uh, your grandfather, or it be your Rebbe, or Rosh Hashiva, you know, the seventh bracha is the big honor, and it's a long one, relatively long. Baruch Hashem Kim Al-Cholam, Hasher Bara, in fact, many Nagunim are set to this, Hasher Bara Sasen Besimcha, you have made joy and gladness, Chasen and Kala, Gila, Rina, Ditsa, Vachetva, these are all terms of joy, joy and rejoicing and happiness and excitement, Ava and love, Achva and unity, Shalom, peace, and reyes, and friendship. And then we pray, may it be speedily in our times that we shall once again hear in the desolate cities of Eretz Israel the sasain uh, and simcha, joy and rejoicing, chasen and kala. Uh, and we end, bracha Hashem, misameach chasen imakala. So the point I wanted to make is this. Bracha number six says, he makes the chasan and kala rejoice. Bracha number seven says, chasan im hakala. He makes the chasan rejoice with the kala. Not chasan and kala, but chasan with kala. Almost the same. What would the difference be between chasan vikala and chasan im kala? This is the difference between six and seven? Six and seven, yeah. Yes, yeah. six is chasan vikala, and seventh is chasan im kala. And they're separate, and when they're together. Right, exactly right. So uh, you have, uh, you have uh, you're in agreement with Rashi. Uh, Rashi in the Gemara Kasubas explains that the difference is in the sixth bracha we are blessing the chasen bakala that they should enjoy all of the things that one could enjoy alone that they should enjoy together in other words you should have health you should have wealth you should have parnasa 
you should find fulfillment in your life. You, the chassan, should have it, and you, the kala, should have it. And together it's even better. Chassan im kala is a much deeper bracha. May you find joy in the relationship that you have with each other. Not simply, may you have joy and, and then share it together. Because those are separate joys. The person can have joy, you know, in their career. They can have joy. And of course, it's a nicer thing if you can share it. But those are things you enjoy as an individual. The seventh bracha is a deeper bracha. That may you find joy in the relationship that you have. May you grow in that relationship to be greater than you would be uh, if you would not be in that relationship. Right, so that's the chasan imakala, and that's the crescendo, that's the highest madrega. Now, the sheva brachos after benching, either both during the wedding meal and during the week, if you're having it during the week, are the same brachos. But it's interesting that the Berebri Hagafen is moved, meaning uh, Berebri Hagafen is number seven. In other words, everything, you know, number two becomes one, etc. So instead of Berebri Hagafen being the first bracha that you recite, it is actually the last bracha that is recited. So the order is different, but the brachos are otherwise going to be exactly the, the, uh, the same. Okay? So uh, you'll, you'll notice that at, 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 at a Shavu Brachos. Okay, so uh, any questions about, uh, about Shavu Brachos and the, the meaning of the Shavu Brachos and, and the like? Uh, people ask the question, is there any problem with a woman saying the Shavu Brachos? Uh, so this is a very, very interesting question. There are certain halachas, even though I can't always give you a full explanation for them, that women cannot do certain things. There's no question. A woman cannot be a witness, halacha. A woman cannot be a witness under the chuppah. A woman cannot sign the ksuba because that requires witnesses. And for various reasons, the Torah does not uh, permit women to serve as witnesses, except in certain areas. Certain areas like kashras, for example, a woman <coughs> obviously serves as a witness. But in terms of reciting a bracha under the chuppah, if you were to ask me what halachic principle says a woman, maybe I shouldn't record me here, what halachic rule says a woman cannot recite one of the Sheva Brachas under the Chuppah? The short answer is there is no halachic rule that she can't. Uh, she actually is allowed to. I'll warn you, if you ever try it at a firm wedding, uh, they're going to lynch you. Uh, that's, uh, that's very, very true. Uh, so you'll get in big trouble, so don't do it, and certainly don't say that I said you can do it. I don't need to... I don't want to be be lynched. But in truth, uh, this is actually one of those things where there is no halachic problem, but for Tzniyas, various other reasons, uh, it's generally not done. In modern, so-called modern Orthodox, they sometimes will do it, uh, you know, and I would say it's frowned upon because it's not the minhag of, of, of religious people. But again, you should know how luckily uh, it is not forbidden. Uh, and, uh, you know, it certainly does not invalidate the marriage in any, in any way whatsoever. Yeah, I'm sorry, someone wanted to say, uh, okay. I'm sorry, yeah? Um, I just wanted to ask, so the reason for saying Yes. Well, basically what you're doing is that one of the ways you make the bride and the chasna and the kala rejoice, it's a mitzvah to give them joy, 
uh, is by blessing them and calling down Hashem's blessings. Now, the truth of the matter is the day that a person gets married, both from the Chassan side and the Kala side, is a day of Yom Kippur for them. It's a day that Hashem forgives their Averos. It's a day that Hashem is ready to bestow many, many blessings on them if they turn to Hashem with a complete heart. So part of the blessings are we're asking Hashem to bless the new, the new, the new couple, right? That's a beautiful thing. And Sheva Brachas are not a minna, they're a din. In other words, they, they, if you have a minion, if you don't have a minion, you don't say them. Uh, I, I had mentioned during the week you don't have to have Sheva Brachas. Right? That, that I mentioned. But under the chuppah and at the wedding meal, uh, it is not optional. It is a chiv. Uh, there are many things that are a minna. The kala walking around the chasan is a minna. So if you didn't do that, well, you didn't do that. Uh, but Sheva Brachas is an absolute uh, requirement. Uh, because, huh? Like the following the week after. No, no, no. I, I, that's what I'm saying. I, 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 no, no, no. During the week, it's not. That's what I said. But I mean, but under the chuppah and at the wedding meal, it is a requirement. During the week, it's not. Right. Yeah, during the week, indeed, it's not. Um, okay. So again, they're very, very beautiful things. Once you look at the shabbat brachos, and uh, in a way, uh, if you're a, a couple that's getting married, uh, you can look at the shabbat brachos as kind of a plan of what Hashem wants you to have in your life. You know, and, mm-hmm. and try to incorporate those things. Into your into your life, yeah. Um, is it a minhag that's written down that we mention? I I would say it's become a minhag simply because it's not done, so it automatically becomes a minhag. But uh, most of the time, it doesn't come up. Meaning, it only comes up in modern environments, so to speak. Uh, but I remember there was a great uh, gadol who died recently. He was very, very tsenua. He was not well known outside of those who knew. Rav Shlomo Fisher was a great, great. Uh, Really, a great, great Talmud Chacham, and he, he was—he grew up in Me'asharim. He was a Charid. He was not—you uh, know—he was not from a modern environment. But apparently, one of his granddaughters was fairly modern, and uh, she wanted to recite uh, a bracha at her child's chasna. So they went to ask him, and he said, "Nothing wrong with it." Uh, he was—he he was a little iconoclastic. He kind of broke the mold sometimes. But he said there was nothing wrong with it, and so I, I don't know. I, so I think they actually did it, and that would be very, very unusual. Though. Now, some people do this. I don't know if this is any improvement. Uh, they want to create a thing where men will say the bracha in Hebrew, and then the woman will then say it in English. Now, I'm not sure. You know, I mean, if you're doing that, the woman can say the Hebrew too. In other words, I'm not sure what you're gaining so much, but. At least some people felt, well, you're staying with the minog that the men say the brachos, and then the woman says, uh, says something in... Uh, My question yeah. is, is it... In fact, a woman could even be, again, I mean, I, I would not encourage this for various reasons, a masada kedushin. Masada kedushin is the rabbi or the person who supervises the ceremony. Now, you understand that the role of a masada kedushin in Judaism is very, very different than a member of the clergy in Christianity. In a Christian marriage, it is the priest that is marrying you. Without a priest, there's no marriage. In Judaism, the rabbi is not marrying you. You're marrying yourself. When the groom, give, when the chassan gives the kala a ring and says the right words in front of witnesses, that makes the marriage. The rabbi is there to supervise. It's a very different idea. The rabbi does not marry you the rabbi is supervising 
that everything was right. Theoretically, if there wasn't any rabbi, but you happened to do the right thing, you would be married. In other words, you don't need a rabbi to marry you, but you need a rabbi to supervise. So theoretically, it's been posited a woman could even be the supervisor. She could be the Masaderet's Kedushin. She can't be the witness. But she, she, can't she can't be the witness. She cannot be the witness. That's halacha. But to be the supervisor, she, if, she, if she knows the halachas. So again, I, I'm not here to, you know, to inflame you or to give you some, uh, some revolutionary uh, cause here. Uh, but you know, we, we have minhagim in the Jewish community and we should respect those minhagim and there's no need to change things just because you want to change things. But in truth, uh, there are interesting halachic permissibilities for things that we sometimes uh, don't uh, explore. A woman cannot be a witness, that is for sure. That's, uh, non, that's non-negotiable. Why are there less So there is a concept that uh, the, the, the excitement and the joy is not as powerful when you've been through it before. It's like, yeah, second time already, you know. Uh, that doesn't mean second marriages cannot be very good. Second marriage can be very, very beautiful. And <laughs> indeed, I know cases where obviously where the first marriage ended in divorce, that the second marriage was a lot better uh, than, the, than the first marriage. But still, the excitement of something new is just less, less powerful. So therefore, we have less, uh, less open expressions of joy. In fact, one might even say that the joy in the second marriage can be very, very strong, but it tends to be a quieter, more discreet type of simcha, less of a public. You know what they say? The first, you know, we, we, we read this past week about Matan Torah. So the first luchais, the first tablets, were given with thunder and lightning and all of sorts of excitement, and they were smashed the sin of the golden calf. The second luchos were given very privately. Moshe went up for 40 days and he comes down. There was no big show. So it tells you sometimes that the gifts that you get in modesty and quietness and humility can be more enduring than those things that come with a lot of drama. Right? The luchos rishainais are kolos ubrakim and they were broken and the luchas shenios were quiet, hatsneya leches, and they are the ones that endured. The Torah we have is from the second luchas, not from the, not from the first uh, luchas. Yeah. Is there any customs do three days of Shabbat brachos? Yes. Yeah, so some, so some <coughs> do allow. Uh, three days of Shevra Brachos when both parties were married before. Right, that's what I heard. But, 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 here's the thing. This is a little tricky. They do three days, but they don't say all, all the Shevra Brachos. They only mm-hmm. say the seventh Bracha. So if you're oh. doing the three day, so really it's a misnomer. You should not call it Shevra Brachos. It's three days of rejoicing, which will have only the last Bracha recited. Actually, two Brachas, Brei Priyagafen and the last Bracha. So you're saying they say the Shabbat Brachos at the chuppah and the wedding meal, and then yeah. for three days after they do a they party? Only, right, they do a party, they'll have benching, mm-hmm. and at the end of benching they will say the seventh bracha and then bury Priyagafen. Mm-hmm. Right, so it's, not, so it's a misnomer to say Shabbat Brachos, because right. it's not Shabbat Brachos. Yeah, so some people do do that for three days. That's if both parties are married. Uh, many people do, don't uh, do that at all uh, under those circumstances. Okay. Um, already, so any, any questions about this? Because I'm, I'm, I'm going to move away now from marriage to divorce. So we're, so we're skipping a lot of... <laughs> we're skipping a lot of stuff in between. I don't know. All that stuff is...
all of that stuff is formalities. Uh, what happened? Yeah. I'm a little confused about something you said earlier yeah. about. Um, so you first started out by saying um, that the first two halachas were like really certain when um, if one, either the man or the woman, is not a virgin or was previously married, um, you do shadow brothels for seven days, and that's really certain. And then you said if both are widowed and divorced, then you only do it um, for the chuppah and wedding meal, right, and, right. and that's really certain. Right. Uh, and I was curious what what you meant by like the halacha being really certain. Is that the other two, it sounds like, you know, there was a question, but there is a resolution. Yeah, that's correct. In other words, I didn't give you all the opinions, but yeah. the other two are areas of disagreement where I gave you the okay, resolution. So the first two don't have disagreement. That's so correct. They have disagreement, yeah. but there is like right. a rule. That, that's correct, yeah. Okay, that yeah. was my yeah. first question. And then yeah. My second question is, um, it sounded like you had been explaining earlier that um, there could be some embarrassment of a woman if, you know, uh, she wasn't a virgin. Or right. Is that the reason? My understanding was that... Um, Generally, the, the, the where there was disagreement, it was agreed that it kind of depends on the husband. That if he had been previously married, um, then it's um, just the one day. And if he was previously married, then it's seven days. If he was kind not of, previously married. Right, yeah. like kind of regardless of her. Yeah. Were you saying that like that embarrassment was kind of the reason for Well, I, I don't think so, because that wouldn't address all the cases. I mean... Uh, I mean, if you're concerned about embarrassment, then even if he was married, uh, we should do it for seven days. So uh, we don't, we're not but, fully... But then there's no question yeah. on her, right? That it, yeah. Because it directs the attention away from her, is that um, So you're saying, oh, I see. In other words, we could just say it's because he was married. Right. Okay, it could, it could be. That might be. That might be. That might be a possibility. Yeah, that might be a possibility. Although a, a person who's smart might say, yeah, but if she... If she would be a virgin, you know, we would do it for seven. Okay, but whatever. It might distract people. It might deflect people by focusing on him. Because if he had been married, and even if she, if she wasn't a virgin, no, then, then you do seven days. Then you do seven days. That's what I'm saying. You do seven days. Oh, okay. So it's not a complete resolution, but maybe people won't be thinking about that. You know, but it's almost a resolution because the only case where there there is like suspicion is where he's, he he's he was married. That's correct. Okay. That's correct. Yeah, That's that correct. makes sense. Okay. That's correct. Okay, so again, these are things to be aware of because, as I say, uh, a person gets engaged, and if they have friends, their friends are going to want to make sheva brachas for them every night. And they'll start planning this like uh, two months before your wedding, before somebody's wedding. So it's good for a, a kala to know these halachas ahead of time so things will not be planned that could cause discomfort if they have to be canceled or whatever it is. Okay, because sometimes, uh, I mean, I, I've gotten questions where Sheva Brachas were already arranged and then the Kala discovers that you're not supposed to have them. I mean, you can have a party, you can always have a party, but still, if you have a party and you're not going to say the Brachas, you know, it's going to, uh, you know, be embarrassing in that, uh, in that way. Although I'll tell you an interesting, I'm going to give you an interesting response of how far we go with human dignity and not to embarrass somebody. It's a totally different context, but I wonder if you could draw an analogy. Pidjon Haben. So actually, I will talk about something in the middle of a marriage. Pidjon Haben, right? <laughs> Redeeming the firstborn. Uh, this is not such a common mitzvah because uh, it only applies under very narrowly defined conditions. But a woman who has her firstborn child, and that is a son, and that is delivered through the womb and not through the cesarean. 
right? A cesarean is not right. So that child is a sanctified firstborn, and there's a mitzvah after 30 days, on day 31 from his birth, so it's day 31, to give a certain amount of money to a Kohen to redeem the child from his holy status, right? So the bris is on day eight, pigeon aben is on day 31. Uh, pigeon aben is much less painful uh, than a bris, it's just a matter of paying money and the like. Uh, the nusach of pigeon aben is very strange. Uh, the Kohen, there's a script, the Kohen says to the father, uh, do you want to keep your son and give me the pigeon aben? Uh, you have a choice. Uh, give me your son or pigeon aben. So I've never heard the father say, take the kid, I'm keeping the money. But the father is given, the, the father is given this choice. Uh, do you want to, you know. Anyway, but the assumption is the father's going to read the script and the like. Now, what is the halacha of pigeon aben if the woman had, let's say, miscarriages before. Let's imagine, God forbid, there was a miscarriage, an abortion or a miscarriage, either, either one, a stillbirth. So the rule is the following. If the miscarriage or the stillbirth was so early that the child did not have recognizable arms and legs, so that doesn't count as a birth, so the next one could still be a pigeon haben. But if the child had recognizable limbs, then that's considered to be a stillbirth, so the next one is not, so there'll be no pigeon event. Right? There's no pigeon event for a dead child, and there's no pigeon event for the next one because he's no longer a firstborn. Now, when does that period occur? So usually uh, it occurs shortly before the first trimester. So generally speaking, therefore, any miscarriage after two and a half months will exempt the next child from pigeon abend. That, that's an average. It would depend, right? That's an average. So it's not 40 days. It's, uh, 40 days is relevant for some other things, but uh, this is a little later. There has to be recognizable arms and legs. So listen to the shayla that was uh, presented to Rabbi Avadji Yosef. Very, very interesting shayla. A woman was a non-religious woman and uh, she had a sexual history, and uh, she had gotten pregnant from her boyfriend, and she had gotten an abortion. Again, halakhically, that was not proper, but she got an abortion. She becomes a balat shuva. She marries uh, a yeshiva person, a kolo person, and uh, she did not discuss her prior relationship. She did not discuss that she had an abortion. Maybe there was no reason to discuss it. She gets pregnant. And you know, the boy is Spartic, so Spartic were big in boys, you know, whatever it is, having a boy, you know, she said, he's so excited, you know, he's gonna, hopefully he'll have a son, and the son will have a bris, and then the, uh, the son will have a pigeon a bed, and he's talking to his wife about how great it's gonna be. And she is desperately praying that the child will be a girl. Uh, because uh, if the child's a boy, the, ch the boy cannot have a pigeon of Ben because he comes after a, an abortion, which was after the first, or, or, you know, uh, well, not after the first trimester, but whenever it was, there already was recognizable arms and, and legs. So Ravavaji Yosef actually said the following. Ravavaji Yosef actually said, I don't know how the question got to him. He said, number one, uh, she should try to lie and make up different excuses why 
there couldn't be a pigeon up end. Maybe she could tell her husband that in their marriage she had a prior miscarriage, depending on how long they were married, that he didn't, she didn't tell him about. No, that's one thing. Or she could even say that she discovered that her mother was a daughter of a Levi or a Kohen, because luckily you don't have pigeon up end if your mother is a Levi or a Kohen, even if your father is not. But Ravaja then said the following. This is quite amazing. <coughs> Ravaja said, <coughs> if she has no way of avoiding the pigeon aben, unless she would have to tell him about the abortion, she should allow the pigeon aben to continue without telling anybody, because even though they will be reciting blessings in vain, they don't know it. But you know, if, if this is not a bechor and you go through a pigeon aben, you are reciting brachos levatala. But Yerubhavadja said, it is permitted to recite blessings in vain in order to avoid humiliation and embarrassment. And he goes through different reasons why that's so. So Ad Kedekach, he permitted blessings in vain in order to avoid humiliation. So it seems to me, going back to the Sheva Brachos thing, let's imagine the scenario where you have the man was married before and the woman is not a virgin, but she was not married before. And I had mentioned that the halacha is that uh, you only recite Sheva Brachos at the wedding, under the chuppah, and at the wedding meal. But let's assume that this was not known and a Sheva Brachos was arranged. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the Sheva Brachos, the chassan or the kala become aware of this halacha. Are they obligated to say, ah, we can't recite Sheva Brachos? So it seems to me that Ravavaj's psak would be that if he allows the recitation of blessings in vain in order to avoid embarrassment, then that would be allowed here too. But I want to be clear, that's only if they're actually at the actually having a Shevra. You can't set up a Shevra Brachas based on that because you know, don't just say don't not setting up a Shevra Brachas is not an embarrassment. It's not the same thing. It's a very different thing when you're everybody is there and you have to make an announcement versus saying we're not available that night or something. So I'm not giving this as a heter to throw out the whole halacha, but Bidiyevad, if they're really, really stuck there may be a psaq uh, to be able to rely upon under those uh, circumstances. Okay? So it's a, it's a very, very interesting psaq. Of course, the, the question you could raise in terms of marriage is uh, if she... Uh, well, that, that's an interesting question. What must a man or... It's not just a woman. What, what, what must a man or a woman, either side, tell their spouse about their sexual history? Is this something that should be revealed? Or is it something that the past is the past and a person does tshuva? And, you know, why, why does it have to be brought up? It's not, it's not my life now. Interesting question, right? Uh, some would say that not to reveal something like that is deception. Uh, some would say that uh, the past is not relevant to the present status of Shalom bias. So different people will say different things. I think, by and large, uh, people are advised not to talk about their past unless uh, 
they want to and they feel the other person would, would be sympathetic and understanding. <coughs> but you're not mechayiv to bring up all sorts of difficulties that a person had in their lives, unless, unless it may have an impact on a present relationship. So let, let me give you an example of this. Let's imagine, God forbid, that somebody was a victim of sexual or physical abuse. Now, let's, say, let's assume even, you know, again, God forbid, it should never happen, uh, even incest. Let's assume a parent molested them, a brother molested them. Do they have to bring it up uh, to their one that they're dating? Do they have to bring it up to their husband? Uh, they do not. They do not. It's a, it could be a private part of your life. On the other hand, it might give a person emotional release to be able to discuss it with somebody they care about. And the other thing is that the nature of psychiatric traumas is that it can often have a, a negative carryover into, into everyday life. There could be flashbacks. There could be a fear of intimacy. So if the problem is that the trauma has a carryover negative impact, then it may be something that needs to be discussed. This is true about every, a lot of things. I mean, let's assume somebody is bipolar. Uh, you know, so, so it all depends. Uh, if they're still suffering from the condition, they have to talk about it. They have to uh, disclose it. Uh, if they're long past it, it was 25 years ago and it hasn't reoccurred, then there could be a statute of limitations on things. In other words, the point I'm making is, it's not that we care about the past. We care about the present. If the past is going to affect the present, then you got to talk about it. If the past is not no gaya at the present, it's not relevant to the present, then you don't have to talk about it. Okay? So it's not the past that's important, but are there things that are going to potentially be negative in a relationship? Right, a person is entitled to know. Uh, if, if I have a, a spouse uh, that you know, may you know, have epileptic seizures or whatever it would be, I, I should know about it so I could evaluate, is it right for me, is it not right for me? <coughs> whatever, whatever it would be. 